You're listening to the HSDNA Podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to this episode of HS DNA. My name is Justin Starbird, and I'm excited because today we are continuing our mini series on Applied Human Factors in Medical Device Design, a book done by our very own Dr. Mary Beth Privetera. And she is with me today to talk about formative design evaluation and reporting. Mary Beth, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. I'm excited. Um, formative design evaluation and reporting is, uh, is so fundamental to the human factors process. This is a great topic. Awesome. Well, you know, this was such an interesting um, book that you put together, and I know we've talked about it before, but you've had some amazing um, authors that also uh, assisted you. Who, uh, who participated in this particular section to bring this, um, to bring this subject of formative design evaluation reporting to life? Yeah, well, thanks for asking, because, you know, um, you know, and just just before I, I jump into my to my fantastic authors, a, a little bit of background. You know, the this is really uh, about getting feedback from users, and it's it's a key component. Um, it's done in in um, applying human factors in medical device design just over and over again. It's an iterative process, and it's really done with lots of different levels of fidelity and lots of different techniques. And so, when we we're looking at the author team for this. You know, we're looking for who can really discuss the breadth with which we can do formative evaluation. So um, we have a chapter in here on heuristic analysis, cognitive walkthroughs, and expert reviews. And then um, we're talking about simulated use formatives. And I think that's fundamental and, and super important. Um, the simulated use formatives is actually authored by Deborah Billings Brookie and Tressa Daniels, along with Melissa Lemke. Um, that that author team really shone some light in regards to how to go through and get the right level of fidelity and to show the breadth with which you can do simulated use testing. And and I think that that is also critical to setting up your validation work and getting into the right type of a validation study or and even the formative study where in the test in and of itself is going to be, um, you know, subject. You, you don't want to fail or have a lot of use errors as a result of your testing. And so, um, you know, this is this is just a great section to discuss all of the different levels throughout the design process of how how to go ahead and um, and to get those formative design evaluations taken care of. So let's just jump right in then um, on this. This is obviously a really important section within the book. Well, really they all are, but this is um, another one where, uh, you know, you've done a great job of giving, you know, clear oversight and overview into, um, into these topics. So let me ask you, what is uh, heuristic analysis and how is it even used to improve design? Yeah, so... You know, the term heuristic evaluation and analysis, I mean, that, that is, uh, again, something that's a bit um, aged. Uh, it actually was proposed by Nielsen and Mollick in 1990. 
as a means for identifying usability issues found in software. And so we're borrowing that technique and applying it in, in a myriad of ways. It's, it's a technique that is promoted by the FDA guidance uh, in order to identify problems and make recommendations for improving usability um, earlier rather, sooner rather than later. And it, so it's kind of a fancy word. A lot of people do not know that, that word, but essentially um, Nielsen Norman came away with 10 heuristics, um, which are principles of good design. Um, they, they cover things, just to give you kind of an example, uh, visibility of the system status. So knowing that, knowing where and how things are turned on, uh, you know, are they on, are they off? Um, what's the appropriate feedback? And then matching your, your, you know, what you're expecting the device to do to what the user really, what the device really does and enabling them to control functions. So if they make a mistake, can they back out? Is it consistent to standards? Does the design itself prevent errors? Is there in, any type of flexibility? Um, and, and, and then to take those, those, and there's 10 that's by Nielsen Norman, uh, um, and then um, take those heuristics and then just really evaluate the design to say it's not a problem, maybe it is a problem, it's minor, or it's a big problem, and then, and then make recommendations. So it's kind of a four-step process. It's done on the bench, mm -hmm. um, which was really great because it's, because it's a technique that um, has been around for a while, there's a, a um, another author by the name of Zhang who actually took and made it 14, and Zhang focused on medical devices. So he took he the four-step process and he made it 14. He took oh, no, it's still a four-step process. But what he did was he took the 10 heuristics of Norman um, hmm. that were that were you know done in the 1990s, and then he said, okay, well, what about medical devices, and how can I get something that is specific to medical devices and then uh, and then validate them so there's 14 he's got 14 heuristics still the same process of taking a user interface taking the 14 heuristics and evaluating them and then coming away with recommendations mm -hmm. so really simple very some very simple task to do it's, it's really nothing more than that and then to ask the question of how can i improve the design based on these heuristics that i that i know work sure Man, that's fascinating. So let me ask you another one then. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, cognitive walkthrough. Can you explain that? Yeah. So um, again, uh, it's a little bit like the heuristic evaluation, only um, cognitive walkthrough is um, it's to, to take a, maybe a novice user or an expert user and to, to go through the, the user interface and, and to provide an evaluation. Um, it, 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 it's simple also in that it asks um, a simple, it asks a few simple questions like will the user know what to do at that particular step and if they do, if they do the right thing then are they making progress to, the, to their goal, will they try to achieve the right outcome, will they, they notice the correct action is available to them. So it, it, it just asks some, some basic questions. Um, and in the book, there's even a template that you can you can take and, and use the you know for each one of the tasks. Just use the template of did they do it right? Did they did it was it wrong? Um, so it's really just um, the the ability to go through that user interface and look for ways to improve it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, then can you walk through us, walk with us through um, how have, you know, expert reviews in human factors been conducted and, and really what's the difference between expert review and then, you know, the cognitive walkthrough you just explained? Yeah, so um, the, the, the thing about heuristic analysis, cognitive walkthroughs and expert reviews is the expert can be a human factors expert or it could be the expert could be a, uh, an actual user. So this, this methodology of, of a formative evaluation, um, I think people do it, but they don't write it down and they don't include it in terms of, they don't document it in a way that can be credited for a formative evaluation. Um, there, there can be almost no difference between a cognitive walkthrough and an expert review. If I take my, my user and I say, okay, um, here's, here's a, a software prototype that, that may be um, even on paper or it may be done on an iPad and I, I have them walk through those steps, I'm actually doing a cognitive walkthrough and I'm, I'm asking those same questions um, that, that I would. Now, an expert review, a human factors expert review could be something a little bit more in depth where I'm taking and I'm looking at the standards and I'm comparing does this device design meet the standards that are presented in HE75 or known usability standards? Um, how closely am I, am I tied to it while I'm also going through that walkthrough? At the end of the day, the way that we should think about this is, a, is something that can be done in-house and something that can be done relatively cheaply um, it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to involve users and you can still get through some of your human factors in without going through the lengthy studies. So it's super helpful at the beginning of that design process or for people that are time strapped or dollar strapped. Then how, let me ask you then, how do they, how do you document the expert reviews or, or is there, you know, um, a need for having expert reviews? Oh, absolutely. There's, there's definitely a need for them. Um, documenting them, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of ways of, of documenting. I know that when um, HSD documents them, we go through a step by step and we describe what the step is. We describe the user interface. Um, we'll describe the potential risk areas. We'll describe the potential risk mitigations of that particular within that step. And then um, what are the opportunities to improve design? So we're, we're always focused on design and that, and that can be done in a PowerPoint, a Word document. You know, there's a whole host of different ways that, that, you, can, um, that you can document it. Um, but the point is to write it down and put it into the design control system so that you can reference it. Mm -hmm. So do you also have to have users involved in those formative um, usability tests? You do not. I know that oftentimes we think of um, having a, a usability testing. In fact, this came up in the office just last week where, you know, we were getting ready um, to do a formative evaluation with users and um, we had, we, we weren't really, we were, it was more getting down to will a finger obscure on this touchscreen user interface. Um, and we were looking at the overall budget of the program and decided that it would that we could figure this out by an in-house heuristic evaluation expert review, um, looking at the standards rather than go through the cost and the expense of involving our users right now, and that it would be better to involve our users when we had something a little bit more functional, um, because it, and, and that leads us you know to the to the next section in regards to simulated use testing because 
when they're actually using it, you can get more of those use errors, um, more of the, the risks associated with it. Mm-hmm. So, no, you don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you're practicing uh, social distancing within the office when that came up or via a Zoom call, right? <laughs> uh, Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I know we've touched upon this in a different podcast, and, and you know, we've, we um, talked with you and Tor a little bit about, um, you know, how human factors are, are changing, you know, right now and, and you're doing it from afar. Can you touch on that, uh, you know, really quickly, but as we're in the midst of this, you know, global pandemic and, you know, different uh, parts of the country are on, are on lockdown for the next several sure. weeks? Sure. Well, Aside from validation studies, you know, we can do a lot of things online, um, and, and, it, and it really gets down to looking at what makes sense to do things like a heuristic analysis, like a cognitive walkthrough. We can do that in, in-house and, and not involve those users. Um, it, we can do a lot via web conferencing, web tools. Um, there's even tools where if you did want to have a, a conversation, the ability to send a prototype out. Um, you, there's even software that you can have participants be invisible to the participant where you have a virtual back room and, and they don't need to see everyone that's involved. So, you know, our, our practice is largely, since we're focused on design, our, our practice is largely unchanged with the exception of the, the validation in regards to social distancing. But, you know, this is the time when heuristic analysis, cognitive walkthroughs, and expert reviews really need to come front and center because they're the the easiest, um, you know, the, the, the first and foremost uh, tool that we have in our toolbox to make sure that we're doing good design. Well, and I got to believe, you know, that kind of leads into what you were just talking about, which is the simulated uh, use testing. And, uh, you know, can you walk us through some of the best practices and maybe how those have been challenged over the last several weeks? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, um, the, the author team, Deborah, Tressa, and Melissa, did a really great job in talking about, um, you know, what does it mean to have the, the simulated use? And, you know, you can still, you can even do those, um, those remotely, too. You just have to have the right material. So, for example, um, there are um, injection pads. So, if you wanted to do a, a simulated use, um, evaluation, a formative evaluation on a, on a combination product that delivered via syringe, you know, you just have to make sure that you send along the ability and the means for them to go ahead and to simulate that use. The other, the other challenge with social distancing means that you may need to set up multiple cameras, which that do need to have a little bit of instruction. So in, in our practice, we've been doing things like incorporating both a, a, a participant's computer and their cell phone. So obviously making sure that they're a little bit tech savvy before we send things. And we found that most physicians, most clinicians are tech savvy and they can handle that, that setup. Um, so, so there is uh, there is a very good way to, to, to do that remotely. When you're not remote, and what's covered in the chapter is how can I um, get the, the right methodology and the right fidelity for doing something in person and, and being the differences between formal or informal and coming up with clear objectives. And that, that's the consistency right there. Mm-hmm. So when you complete a test, um, 
what's the most important information that does get reported out and, and you know, what maybe should not be ignored? Yeah, I mean, and that gets down to the, you know, writing really clear objectives. You know, we should always start off with that a formative usability evaluation is, is really about informing device design um, and, and to support design. So, you know, it, it's really about, did I verify any type of assumptions and did I, did I look for the effectiveness of the labeling? Um, you know, when you think about what should not be ignored, you can write what happened down in the study. Um, and that's always, you know, oh, this happened and that happened and this happened. Um, but it takes the right type of person, the right type of analysis to take a step back and to say, okay, so that happened, what does that mean to design? Is that something that I can change? Is it something that, you know, the schedule can tolerate in regards to that change? Did I build enough time to, or, or, and, and or money to, to make that change? Is that appropriate? What, you know, what can I do by design? And, and that gets down to, you know, the previous section where we were talking about the device design in general versus mm -hmm. the design of the instructional materials. So, What's not ignored, uh, the design. Right. <laughs> so I know you've had some pretty special guests um, working with you on this. Deborah, um, Tressa, and, and Melissa, as they you know worked with you on this section. Um, this is I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, having them you know participate with you. What was one of the, the your more favorite things that you learned that you didn't know um, within these topics uh, in this section? Oh golly, um, that's a that is a good good question. Um, you know, I think it wasn't so much as a, a, uh, a like an aha, like I didn't I didn't know. I, I appreciated their ability to pull it all together into digestible chunks um, to take and to say, okay, so I, I've got to write down those objectives and test my my individual attributes. Um, and, and then I guess the, the, you know, one of the things would be the correlation. They've, they, they got really good information in regards to the, um, to the timing of where you are in the design process, to the benefits of running the study, to the costs associated with it. So it wasn't as much of a, oh, I didn't know that before, but it was a, Oh yeah, that's spot on, and, and that's some. And I'm glad that they wrote that down because now I have something that I can reference and I can look it up. And you know, and and I do that all the time where I'm just like, oh, okay, what what did we say over here on that? And, mm -hmm. and I can just look it up. So, um, so that 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 was probably the the, the biggest the biggest takeaway. Cool. Well, Mary Beth, thank you for joining us on this episode in part four for your recent book, Applied Human Factors in Medical Device Design, where we covered formative evaluation and design and reporting. You know, until next time, thanks for listening. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening.